Quantlayer is a software consultancy based in Brooklyn, New York. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Quantlayer. The information presented should not be construed as investment advice. Guests may maintain positions in assets mentioned in the podcast. Hey everyone, this is Vikram from Quantlayer and it's awesome to have you listening to our second podcast. Faizan and I talk with Adhiraj Gupta of the Crypto Launchpad, a crypto investment bank. We learn what exactly a crypto investment bank is and how they built 20 million in management in just six months. We also discuss how friendly New Zealand regulators are towards crypto, how family offices are getting into crypto, and what the OTC or the over-the-counter market looks like for Bitcoin. This was a great episode, action-packed, and you will want to be taking notes. Enjoy. Hey everyone, this is Vikram and Faison, also known as The Wizard, hey. from Quantlayer, and we're here with uh, Adiraj Gupta of the Crypto Launchpad. Thanks so much for joining us here, Adiraj. Thank you. Thank you, Vikram. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, and nice to meet you as nice well. Nice to meet you as well. So you're based out of New Zealand? Yeah. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm from New Zealand. Okay. Um, what, just, what brings you out here to New York? Uh, so basically, uh, there was a big uh, family office conference. So I was here for that. And okay. then consensus came up. So I decided to stay a little oh, nice. longer. Nice. Yeah. What was the family office conference about? Uh, so it was a DC finance, high net worth individual family okay. office, yeah. basically just a bunch of rich people that okay. uh, want to learn more about crypto space. Okay. So I just came to help out and okay. see how we can awesome. add value. That yeah. must have been a pretty interesting experience. Yeah. So it's crazy because it was like, there was about 60 people there yeah. and they collectively managed $200 billion. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, and then Zealand GDP is $185 billion. Okay. So <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty crazy numbers. Yeah. And are these like all experienced crypto investors or a lot of Oh, not at all. Just interested in no. getting into the space. Not at all. So these were like these are like family offices that have been around in America and in the country for a long, long time, and they're opening their eyes up to crypto now. So they yeah. want to see how they can get into space, what the projects look like, what they sort of should be keeping their eyes open to. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So that sounds like a perfect fit for what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, definitely, a, definitely a big opportunity to make some connections yeah. and see how we could sort of add value to the space. Yeah. Um, plus, just some pretty amazing people to hang out with. So, what is uh, what is Crypto Launchpad? How does it work? Crypto Launchpad uh, is a cryptocurrency investment bank, mm-hmm. um, and we kind of have two main key functions. Yep. The first function is due diligence. So we integrate with exchanges, mm-hmm. and basically what happens is every time a new project comes in the door to an exchange, so yep. wanting to be listed for their ICO or they want to be on, on the exchange and trading, the exchange redirects them to us. Okay. We do full end-to-end due diligence on that project, so that's things like security penetration, the smart contract, yep. looking at the legal and the regulatory, like you know like what markets is this currency legal is it a security is it a utility is it a hybrid somewhere in between we sit down with the founders and actually like talk to them it's like what is your incentive in doing this project like you know where do you see the company going um and so sort of everything in between so look at the marketing and that type of stuff as well once we do that that is then given back to the project and it's provided to the exchange Mm -hmm. so based on that exchanges make a decision if they want to list this currency or not so that's the first key thing outside of that recently we've had a lot of companies hit us up because they're like 
you have everything we need to launch a project. Can yeah. you can you help us? Yeah. So initially we said no for like the first couple of months, but we've got some pretty cool projects that we said yes to for this okay. month. There's about four or five projects that we've got like in our portfolio right now. And yeah, I'm happy to share that as well. Yeah, just so I understand better what that second type of business, what is that? Uh, so second type of business is like the full suite of advisory. So okay. we basically utilize our token assessment framework on like okay. how to do an ICO properly. Oh, uh, okay. Um, and we basically just walk step by step through it, making sure that your project is fully compliant. It's mm-hmm. got everything it needs from a setup perspective that depending on like if you want to do a security utility to make mm-hmm. sure it is very clear that it's a utility or mm-hmm. very clear that it's a security and all the way into into making sure you're listed, raising okay. multiple rounds of capital in between and sort of that whole spectrum. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So you're working with like four or five other coins that are going through the ICO process? Yeah, so we've got about five projects that we ended up saying yes to just for this month alone. So just have an absolute crazy time. So I'm in New York till the 19th. I land back in New Zealand on the 21st. And then I have to fly to Korea on the 28th because one of the biggest K-pop groups over there, so K-pop conglomerate is our client. Uh So there's a token called Fanship, um, Fandom token, which is going live. So I have to be there for the launch date for like two days and I have to fly back. So. Wow. It's super crazy. Yeah. So I have some uh, experience in uh, traditional iBanking. I did. It, I was an iBanking analyst for a couple of years at UBS okay. and Morgan Stanley. So what you're describing to me sounds very much kind of like a roadshow, like a launch date. Yeah. So, I mean, the, those guys basically have all of the K-pop artists almost all signed in, signed up to already. Okay. Um, and basically what the coin does is, so in Korea right now, you can pay 10 cents a text to like vote for your favorite artist to the progress to the next round or like, you know, whatever in these competitions they have. This token is priced at one cent mm-hmm. and anyone in the world can vote now. Okay. So it's a global fan following and it's enabling all of those people to vote just like people in Korea could right now. Yep. As well as that, like if you have enough tokens, you can like go on a dinner date with your favorite celebrity through the inside platform. Yep. You can take them out to lunch. Um, there's special VIP events that are going to be around the world, like special like shows and things with mm-hmm. these fans. So it's mm-hmm. only accessible by tokens. Um, and there'll be like merch and that type of stuff as well. So yeah, it's a very utility-based, very sort of centric around the voting and the fanship. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, a handful of companies came to you and said that they want to do this. You were saying no initially. So what's your kind of internal diligence process for determining whether you want to take a client on? Uh, So like... It depends. So this is going to sound bad, but initially it's just like how cool we think the project yeah, is sure. to start off with, right. but then we'll do full DD. So yeah. like, you know, who is the team behind the project? Like, what is the background? Is the project, any of the founders of the team ever been bankrupt? You know, what scale is it? So like a lot of these projects are like, we have the winners of the Westpac 200. So like mm-hmm. these guys come with a massive brand reputation. They, right. they won the you know best company award technically in Australia. Right. And then the K-pop group already have a massive following and it just makes sense for that particular token. And there's a few others that I can't talk about. Just yeah, yet. sure. But yeah, so basically it's like initially it's like, oh yeah, like that, that sounds like a cool project. And then we'll do DD on it and check check everything out, make sure like it's all good um, and make sure it's the right people. So like with K-pop, making sure it's the right like parties that do actually represent the artist rather than just some random token that's like trying to be K-pop. Gotcha. And so, yeah, so we do that due diligence and then basically it's just through the agreements and processes and the lawyers dealing with their lawyers for the contracts and right. stuff looks like. Yeah. And your, your other side of the business is, so how would you describe that part of the business? Uh, so the first part of the business is very much due diligence. Okay. So but like that's due diligence for exchanges, right, it's right. for banks, it's for regulators, and it's sort of like the end to end. So like okay. right now we have the third best hacker in the world on our team. So like from a security penetration point of view, it's like if we can't hack it, like it's a fairly safe bet that yep. like that project right. is fairly secure. Right? Right, right. And so like we do that end to end. And but 
for the due diligence, we're completely independent. Okay. So like we don't take tokens, we won't take Ethereum, we won't, it's purely cash based. Yeah. Um, and so that way we can stay completely independent. Yeah. Whereas on the advisory side, we have a vested interest. So we'll take tokens, we'll take some cash to make sure expenses and things are covered. But yeah, it's very different sides yeah. the business yeah so what's your background how did you get involved in the space yeah so i actually was the chief operating officer for a cross-border payments company yeah. um like utilizing blockchain to lower the cost of payment like remittances to pacific islands uh-huh. um and, and so like I, I was in the space but like for me it was like I remember watching Ethereum go from like $4 to like $40 mm-hmm. and then like a little while later, 40 like I was literally on my phone, I was like <laughs> watching it go from $40 to 400 and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like we were joking and like in this company, we're like, oh, like we've got like $20,000 spare just sitting there. We should put that into crypto because like, right. we were like looking at the space, right? Yeah. And had we done that, it would have been just over $2.7 million. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh my God, like you don't need funding at that point. Right, like, right. Um, so I did that. And then basically where we got to was we would have to build core banking infrastructure in the Pacific Islands. And so rather than building banking infrastructure, we were like, okay, we're going to wrap down this company. Mm -hmm. But the mission was to reduce the cost for people involved, right? So we figured out there was a competitor that had a really good product. They just Mm -hmm. couldn't market it. So we just helped them market it, like hit the mission and then left the company in terms of like, going out there awesome. um after that i basically went to india for a month and just like explored the fintech um scene over there because mm-hmm. it was like that was just after the demonetization oh, yeah, so just the fintech just that. blew up yeah. like there's no tomorrow and so i went and explored over there came back to new zealand and i got picked up by a, a global consulting firm okay. called the strategist uh-huh. and so that that was a super interesting role because it was very much like they they were like okay well we want to bring you on board um like, where do you want to come in? Like, you know, like, where do you see yourself playing? And I was like, well, what do you, what do you think? They're like, well, we can bring you in as a consultant or we can br- bring you as a manager or like, you know, with different roles inside the organization. And I was like, because I come from a consulting background and sort of was the president of the consulting club. I was like, eh, like, I'm, I'm not sure, like, if that's what I want to do. Just like, you know, go into like a cookie cutter type box. And so we talked about it and they basically let me create a role. Oh, okay. And so I was on, I was the first entrepreneur in residence mm-hmm. for the firm, which was super cool. Cause like basically no one knew what I actually did. Yeah. So like one day I'd be <laughs> having like, like lunch with the global managing director. The other next day I'll be like in a team of four doing consulting work for clients. Right. So it was like the full spectrum of like what could be done. And the coolest part of that organization was they were structured in a way where like half the profits went or like, you know, the revenue went to the firm itself. Yep. And then the other half was divided up equally amongst all the parties involved. So it was a very interesting model of like actually doing consulting and yep. how you kind of take clients. And so I did that for a bit. Oh, also the the best like cherry on top was like I got to invest a portion of the firm's revenues in the APAC region towards like projects that I was passionate about. So I just basically got to invest in a whole bunch of stuff. Awesome. Um, and then, yeah, and so like I'm, I'm still super tight with the guys and there's one deal that we're still looped into there, mm-hmm. um, basically replacing the a lot of the FPOS terminals in the financial stack in New Zealand. Yep. And so like right now, like a normal merchant in New Zealand would pay like $150 for an FPOS terminal about 150 to 200 dollars for the like device that you tap like pizza or like coffee or whatever right yeah and then on top of that like three and a half percent for a credit card transaction Mm -hmm. and then two percent for PayWave. oh gosh right so like an average average like business owner would be paying upwards of 500 dollars a month just to like accept payments which was ridiculous that's absurd yeah so we basically um and like i I won't say who but one of the three big telcos in the country Mm -hmm. as well as the one of the four big 
biggest banks in the country. Yeah. Um, so we're in the final stages there where we're bringing in a device which is $50 a month, mm-hmm. has both the FPOS terminal and the POS system, um, and we're looking at dropping down the margins to sub 2%. Wow. So a business owner would go from like $500 a month to like sub $80, $100 maybe all yep. up with the payment sources. Um, and then after that, like Crypto Launchpad came up, so like we're six months old now. Yeah. And we've just had crazy growth. So I basically left the consulting firm gradually and yeah. there's still a few things that I'm looped into there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's my journey. Cool. Yeah, uh, we checked out your uh, your launch blog post um, that you posted, uh, I guess, about six months ago. Quite, quite a while ago now, yeah. 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 We, we're, just, we're just not good at social media. No, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> um, there was a bit that I read in there that I was thought I was pretty interesting. I'll just, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read it and love to get your thoughts. Um, so you say, and I'll post this in the, uh, in, in the show notes. So if you want to invest in cryptocurrencies today, your key source of information is the thousands of groups on Facebook, posts on Reddit, and channels on Slack and Telegram. Mm-hmm. All these sources pull their information from each other, and quite often the real source of the information is, unaccountable, is an unaccountable Twitter post or the like that has been taken out of context. Mm-hmm. I thought that was just really interesting. You know, we see that kind of market action all the time mm-hmm. off these posts that it's really tough to know where they came from. Yeah. It's kind of like a global game of telephone, Yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know, what, what has been your experience seeing that? Uh, so, like, it's it's just insane, right? Like, there's there's some there's some tools out there that like track sentiment all the way back to the source of where it comes from. Uh-huh. So, like, if you have the thing is like, if you have access to these tools, like, you can see a tweet that originated from China that translates to like a billion dollar movement in market cap in yep. like a very short space of time, right? So it's kind of like if you have these tools available, like you as a hedge fund or whatever organization, you can make a lot of money, right? right. But it's not really fair for the marketplace. Sure. So what that particular piece in that blog hints to is the fact that like over time, as like we scale out, a, the number of companies that we advised in as part of that. But over time, like we, we don't have the infrastructure yet, but like as the companies we do due diligence on, um, we're going to onboard them to basically just a simple announcement platform. Yeah. Um, and it's super simple in terms of like any official announcement or yeah. information they want to release, yeah. release it through that just so like it removes the need for like the Twitter like shilling or, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's like you can do all of that, but like where we need to get the market to is like people don't treat that as like the word of like sure. the company, right? Like right. it could just be one Twitter dude right. who's managing the company's account that like crazy makes movement. Right. Whereas like with an official announcement, you can, okay, like on this day at this time, we're expecting an announcement and here is this now. So it's yeah. kind of formalizing. Yeah, that. that's awesome. I mean, uh, public companies, at least in the US, have investor relations pages on their sites. And I mean, that's a source of truth. Like you have your annual reports, you have press releases and all that stuff. Yeah. Is that kind of what you guys are thinking? Yeah, about? exactly. So okay. like if like companies start doing that already, that's great. Yeah. Um, and we'd hope that crypto companies like, you know, ICOs and projects start doing that. But the thing is like, Right now, it doesn't happen. No. Right. So, like, this is not about trying to be like the go-to website or platform that has it. But for like all of our projects, at yeah. least you know that that's somewhere that right. you can go is a reliable source. Right. That's great. Something else in, in the blog post I found pretty interesting. So I'll read that here. Uh, we, we want this ecosystem to grow, evolve, and shape the future of the industry and business. Success for us looks like people investing in projects that they're passionate about and believe in with comfort and knowing that these projects will do their absolute best to create value and not simply run away with investor money. So we talked about this kind of stuff before where uh, one of the killer apps in crypto is just capital formation. Mm-hmm. You can just set up a wallet and have a project and ask for funds um, as a capital former. And then as a capital contributor, you can just send money to a wallet and you know get your tokens back. That's really, really interesting. How do you see this whole capital formation idea progress as you get uh, as people become more comfortable with investing and, you know, user and diligence product. Yeah. 
I think where we're at right now is like super early days, but the markets evolved very, very quickly since last year. Like if you remember like heading into December, it was like, oh, there's another ICO. Let's chuck money at everything. Right. But like what we're seeing now is like it's very calculated risk. People are actually starting to look at teams and projects. Um, what I've found, found recently is like there's so many like small investor groups emerging and I'm in a few ones that are super interesting. So it'd be like a person who's like, you know, works at McDonald's to a builder to a like another restaurant owner to like actually investment banker analyst to me to this to like these random groups that are emerging and it's super interesting to see like the people who necessarily aren't from the industry like how much like insight they can actually draw from stuff and it's cool to see so i think over time like in general investors are going to get smarter and smarter i think where we need to be like careful about is like what I'm seeing already is because there's a lot of new people entering the marketplace yep. the people who have been in the space even for six months yep. don't really want to help anymore they're just like there's too many like we just want to go do our own thing with our own group and it's kind of letting that gap again in the space right. to, to get bigger and bigger so we have to figure out a way that we can sort of better improve that yeah. um, over time we're going to be rolling out a whole bunch of tools that basically just help the marketplace and mm-hmm. doing things properly um, and one of these tools is like, so we're, we're not like, we have to ask the lawyers if we can use this domain or not, but we own cryptoworldbank.com. Crypto what? <laughs> cryptoworldbank.com. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and basically like what designed is for on that webpage, if we're allowed to use it, is just going to be a decentralized legal and regulatory directory. Okay. So any ICO project can select the countries that they want to operate in. Um, and they'll be able to see what the regulation is in those countries. Okay. And so like what we're going to add all the markets that we personally know about and like the information is truthful and correct. Um, we're looking for people in all of these other countries where we don't necessarily have the experience or like are operating in to add to that. And so it just becomes a global Wikipedia of like information on regulation in each market. And someone takes ownership of that country to make sure it's updated. So like tools like that, that would just release the market to make sure that the, over time it should get easier to see which project actually trying and doing things correctly versus sure. not because these tools will be readily available so if you're not using them there's right. a popular reason why you're not using right. them right. Uh, what countries are you operating in right now uh, so right now we're in New Zealand Australia pushing UK pushing US now in India and in Korea because of K-pop but like from a regulation point of view our strongest points are Australia and New Zealand are you finding that uh most of these countries are adopting relatively similar regulatory policies or is there a lot of variation you have to work around that it's quite a lot of variation yeah so like typically um it seems like a lot of countries like new zealand for sure is definitely keeping a close eye on what the sec is doing but other countries are just like gibraltar malta uh islands in the pacific they're just like let's make it super tax haveny and let's bring as much money as possible so you do get a full dynamic mix but what's interesting is like quality projects are wanting to push into marketplaces where they are regulated so like their brand reputation so like we get a lot of projects interestingly enough from japan they want to do their ico out of new zealand because they're like though japanese seems like a tax haven it's the regulation is actually not the best mm-hmm. to actually do an ico so it's like well if we do it in new zealand at least we would have clarity that things are done properly right so like if you come to New Zealand, you do your ICO there, at least you know with comfort that the project is like actually passed through the regulators and there's yeah. actual input from the regulators and your white paper and your information is done properly. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that. But again, it's like 
thankfully for us, like New Zealand's probably the easiest country, like it is the easiest country in the world to do business in. Mm-hmm. Um, and regulators are super accessible and really good guys. So like it's possible. Like I can't imagine doing that in the US in terms of like just being able to sit down with the regulator and say, hey, like, what do you think of this? Right. So what is the current state of diligence research out there? Um, do you have a handful of competitors or kind of um, similar stuff? Uh, yes and no. So there's like different groups that kind of focus on different things. Mm-hmm. But what we're finding is that like there's just so much more money to be made in advisory right now yeah. that it makes no sense. So like to give you guys an example, like for a, for a full due diligence, like you know, smart contracts, security penetration, everything, we charge $100,000. Okay. Right. To give you a comparison with that, like smart contract audits on average right now are about 60K. Like if you go with the high tier firms like blockchain labs and stuff, right? Maybe edit that bit out. <laughs> um, and, but like, but in general, like the cost of that is like way higher, but like you can't take tokens. Like we self-regulated in terms of we can't accept tokens, right? But on the advisory side, it's like you can charge like this organization, certain large organizations that have hit us up and they're charging $500,000 US plus like 10% of the tokens. And they're like, can you do like the project for us and you charge $150,000 and you take 5% of the token. So they're just like, they're like, we will arbitrage you in terms of like, we'll charge more. We'll put our brand with it. You guys do the work. Um, and we obviously charge a lot, a lot. It's, it's crazy because those 10% of tokens, like if they were to do the work themselves, for example, that's like 500, half a million dollars plus 10% of token supply, which is massive, right? That's massive. Yeah. 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 So the upside is so much more significant because like if you have a project that goes to a hundred million dollars, for example, that's $10 million. Whereas on the due diligence side, it's only hundred K. Right. Right. So there's just no real incentive for people to actually Mm -hmm. be operating on the due diligence side, which is perfect for us because we can do that. We can really like have that brand and their positioning. And so we can really formalize agreements with exchanges. Got it, got what it. the value is long-term. Um, how many exchanges are you working with, roughly? Uh, so right now we're working with two, um, with Cryptopia, with our main like public partner. Yep. Um, but and they're down in New Zealand They're too, down right? in New Zealand, yeah. 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 Um, and so we're helping with, like, we're working with them um, for a few things, um, like outside of just the pure due diligence relationship mm-hmm. as well. The, the biggest problem with us is like Cryptopia right now gets like 100 projects a month, right? Yeah. Our current bandwidth is only 10, 15 projects. So like we can't bottleneck them. So like right now it's not at a level where every single project is coming through us yet, but we do need to scale up like four or five times to make sure we can have that bandwidth. But like um, through like different groups, it's like Binance right now is a thousand projects a month. Wow. So for us to scale into that, there's just a massive pipeline of projects. Yeah. Um, what are your plans to scale? You know, how, is it sort of one-to-one, um, the amount, or can you add 10 projects per person you add on, or how would you think about scaling? No, it's, it's hard because it's like, there's so much, there's so many things that have to scale inside, inside us. So like we have really strong partners and I won't name them because sure. I'm not sure how public they want to be, but like these organizations are like you know, one of the big four, for example, so they can scale parts of the work that we do and, and legal firms, they can tell scale parts of the firm, like work that we need to do, but things like security penetration and smart contract stuff, which we do ourselves, we have right. to scale the teams for that right. as well as like the financial modeling and the token economics side of things. What we've done is like, we've actually set it up so that like, we're in the process of hiring a whole bunch of like executives and stuff from PwC and stuff because those guys are good at this. So yeah. we just bring them over, like help them understand how the stuff works. Right. They're already good at the like actual audit part and like doing that work. So yeah. it's just like tailoring it and so, so, off you go to, okay, to awesome. do that. Yeah. Right. So we're in the process of like bringing quite a few, like we already have a few. Um, so we have about four people in PwC at the moment, but like we're bringing across a few more people. Oh, and so it's kind of like, 
yeah, basically that's that's a scaling problem. But it's more about systems and processes. Mm -hmm. So like right now, um, we're like fairly disorganized in terms of like like every project that comes in, you know, we'll assign a project manager to them and then that person allocates resources. What we don't yet have is like the core infrastructure that say, okay, here's the project that comes in. Here is all of the needs that that project has and here is the timelines and like automatically does that stuff. We have to manually do it, so it takes a lot longer. Yeah. Um, next couple of weeks, months, we should be able to fully automate like the the streamlining of processes and so it's a lot more efficient because people can just churn them out rather than like waiting around and then having a whole bunch of work and then waiting around again. And uh, so thinking about good actors versus bad actors, mm -hmm. uh, what are some key factors you think, say, a retail investor or say a nascent institutional investor, what are the kind of key factors that help separate good and bad actors you think people should pay attention to? In terms of projects themselves? Or? Yeah, if you want to analyze a token project, okay. say someone who's already ICO'd. Uh, that hasn't gone through any kind of diligence. Um, it's hard to know exactly how legitimate is this project. I can see they have a website. You know, you can you can look at their uh, your EtherScan link. Um, there's a handful of things you can do, but you fundamentally, if there's no one to speak to, no one to communicate with you, it's really hard to know if this is a legitimate project or not. Are there some some kind of key factors involved in analyzing an ICO? Yeah. Um, so, like, one of the most important ones for us is actually like. And this is, again, one of those scaling problems, but actually seeing the team. Okay. So, like, one of the projects we saw the team and, like, visually looking, they were, like, we were, like, not sure, like, how like how strong the project was. And the biggest thing for us, I think, is, like, in Asian markets, typically, and this is a big lesson, is, like, the user experience is so different to, like, New Zealand and Australia. We were, like, used to, like, the Googles and the Facebooks. Whereas over there, it's like just like ads everywhere and stuff like that, right? So like we we went over there being super unsure in terms of like, was this project even legit? They have 80 guys working around the clock wow. Wow. on just like making sure that WhatsApp channels for every single country that they are in is like fully, like constantly updated. Their teams are like working around the clock. So there's like different clocks that like people will come in and out depending on which time of the day and stuff. It is. Yeah. So it's like, okay, like this project is good. <laughs> like, and so like it's that sort of thing that gives comfort. Yeah. But um, that's the type of thing that like is isn't public and right. isn't you know right. I mean, only professionals are going to be able to do that yeah exactly and so like our job really is that like over time those projects that we do that full due diligence for we can say look like we have done this due diligence for this project and we were comfortable with where this project was at yeah. and like depending on like how there's a few parties involved in terms of like our partners they're comfortable sharing like their like, like inputs into the report the actual project itself being able to like comfortable sharing their inputs mm -hmm. into the report but like if all of those parties were comfortable then those reports that we do sharing that publicly will go a long way for yeah. these projects yeah. but it's just the just the like types of people like organizations we have they don't have yet have the risk exposure to like yeah um and so like it's great for exchanges and anyone under whose disclosure but like it just can't be public yet yeah. at this point but where we want to get to is like if, for example, like just imagine if imagine a future for a second where we are like hypothetically for every single exchange that wants to get listed, mm. any project that's not good quality and that's like scammy out there, they probably won't come through us anyway. Yeah, brain. Because you know you're going to get rejected, right? right? Like you know you're not going to pass this assessment, and like that is we're more than comfortable doing that. Yeah. Like if you, if you're not good, you're not good. Right. I mean, I can imagine a future too where there's uh, you know. A Tier one, like yourself, diligence services, investment banks, and then tier three, tier four. Because um, you see that in public markets too, where you have, you know, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and then a lot of smaller firms that maybe help smaller IPO teams go public. 
Yeah, and then that's completely fine. Like as long as like intrinsically the space is getting better, like I'm I'm more than comfortable with that. Where like I worry is like when you have a whole bunch of ratings agencies that pop up. Yeah, and like I've seen so many where they're like, pay us two Bitcoin, we'll give you the perfect review. I'm like, you kind of defeat the purpose of what you're <laughs> right, trying to do, right? Right. You're just extracting rent in yeah. this market that exists. Exactly. And so like that's when it kind of worries me. Like even ICO Bench. Like I personally like ICO Bench, um, but there's so many advisors on there where I've seen like because of these projects I get oversight in this right so I've seen these guys be like we'll pay us 10 bitcoin and we'll give you a good rating and we'll, but the sheer number of volume of ratings they're right. doing the sheer number of money that they're making just of rating stuff they have really really high ratings on the rankings yeah and so they're treated as like really great people but actually it's like churning money for right. projects that aren't yeah. actually quite quite self-serving yeah and so like I recently it's like what I've not enjoyed, but like what's been good is the SEC actually taking action yeah. against companies. I would like to see the action being taken against individuals as well that are right. basically doing this stuff, right. right? It's like insider trading and it's not good for the investors because you're just pumping things up. You're giving them information that like, hey, this is a good project. We give it five out of five ratings, but you're not backing that up. And right. Yeah. Yeah, it will, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how all that stuff plays out. There's obvious egregious uh, things that the CC should go towards, um, and then other things that are a little, bit, a little hazier. So the New Zealand uh, equivalent of the SEC, what is what is uh, that? So we have the FMA, Financial FMA. Markets Authority. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So we very much fall under their jurisdiction yeah. in terms of being able to do stuff. Gotcha. And have you, uh, you know, met with them? And so we them? we meet with them very regularly. Oh, that's, that's yeah. huge. So like we, so the the good part is, and that's what I was alluding to before, is like the relationship that we have um, with the FMA. Fortunately, is like we can actually comfortably like share white papers with them and then we can organize a meeting to follow up sit down with like what did you think of those white papers yeah. how would you treat it um what if this was changed how how does that impact it so it's like it's doing two things right a it's like building up their knowledge and portfolio of like the different types of white papers they've sure. looked at um and b it's helping us because we know exactly what from their perspective right, what they would treat it exactly yeah yeah. So that's super useful. But again, that's not going to scale. So we need to right. figure right. out better solutions. Well, that's, I mean, that's awesome. It sounds like they're really uh, progressive there. Yeah. With respect to crypto. Yeah, absolutely. Um, FMA, uh, IRD, which is the In Inland Revenue Department, mm -hmm. um, super open and like they release information about cryptocurrencies and things and like how to treat it. Um, they've had a pretty interesting Facebook campaign recently, which is like, if did you buy a cryptocurrency, make sure you pay your tax. It's like that. <laughs> um, but no, so like super, super accessible, super good guys. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, as far as uh, risk to your business um, from a legal standpoint, you know, what kind of risk do you take on by doing doing the diligence and eventually putting out the reports? This is one of the reasons we don't put out the reports yet, um, just because we can't be seen to be retail focused. Like our reports can't be treated like investment documents right. at all um so everyone is bound by ndas and you yep. know very strong contracts that like this is purely for your analysis purpose or for your listing purpose yeah we do want to get to a space where we can be a lot more public about and like sharing that mm -hmm. but right now with like basically like indemnity insurance for companies like us being non-existent in the crypto space that's extremely hard to right. do right. um and so like our solution is like we have one of the strongest so we have dla piper globally um okay. as sort of our legal partner and so it's like we just have really good lawyers right yep. now. <laughs> that's how we deal with it, basically. Sure. And I think that's what most projects have to do right now. So maybe that's a crypto thing to do indemnity. Crypto insurance products. Pooled insurance products. Yeah. Crypto yeah. indemnity insurance. It, yeah. I would. I would buy. I would buy that, and I'd put on like because <laughs> like I haven't actually come across any crypto project that has indemnity insurance yet. Okay. So I, in my opinion, that's a massive problem. In this yeah. Place.
uh, as far as your diligence goes, how much of it is kind of structural and market versus technical? So you, you do the smart contract stuff, diligence, and then also do you look at like what market the coin plays in and who its competitors are? And that so kind of where stuff? we come in is before they list on exchanges. Okay. So we there's no market data available for us. It's very much the technical side of things and the legal and the business strategy and that type of stuff. So it's yep. very much like, okay. You have the fundamentals met, tech is okay, it's secure, at least people aren't going to lose their money by your wallet being hacked or anything like that. And then focusing on, okay, like where is this project heading to and what, what should we expect at what point in time rather than like, all right, here's the market. Like we don't we do not do trading or market analysis in that, in that particular context. We do look at markets in terms of which markets those people are operating in. Like, okay, is your project in Australia, is it India, which, which market are you actually yeah. doing stuff in? And on the technical and smart contract side, I mean, that that's an area that's very different from public markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's totally new. So it's interesting just hearing about, you know, what the diligence process for smart smart contracts is. When you can, like, pull out tokens. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so I, I actually don't get to spend a lot of time coding. Yeah. Um, so I did um, create my own token just to prove a point one time. So like people are like, oh, it's so difficult to make my chart. It's really not hard to make a blockchain. Yeah. So I created the awesome Adi token okay. um, on the Ethereum Ropstein network mm-hmm. just to prove a point. And it's like live and it functions correctly. But the point is like you can write a smart contract pretty freaking easily, right? Yeah. But the thing is like you do have to look for like, okay, is there like some backdoor type stuff? Is there a way you can, you know, change wallet balances? Um, you know, well, yeah. But again, like I personally don't do the smart contract audits. I, yeah don't have bandwidth to, to do that sure. yeah so i can i mean i can provide you more information on what yeah, that looks that's like that's fine just curious i mean we come across all kinds of so the, the platform we're building um and we chatted about it briefly last week mm-hmm. uh it's basically you know imagine a, a feed of news and alerts on interesting stuff that's going on in the crypto space so different rss feeds uh all the medium and coin blog mm-hmm. um sites mm-hmm. so every time there's a new uh news article it, it'll pop up on the feed uh, so we're always interested in figuring out like what are the extra kind of things we can add to that platform, mm-hmm. um, especially on the uh, uh, technical, technical side, side, like analyzing it from a technical perspective in some automated way. Yeah. So, I mean, let me let me think about that. Um, there's there's probably ways to do a fairly sort of a quick and dirty smart contract audit version, yeah. which just like does a high level analysis, because I, I mean, a lot of people just use templates now anyway. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, if you know how a template model works, there's generally nothing wrong with it anyway. Right. Where things get interesting is like, for us, is like smart contract is okay. Like we can we can do it fairly quickly, but it's actually the security penetration side of things that get interesting, right? Uh-huh. Because it's like the blockchain itself is safe, but the web platform, the web app, the infrastructure around it, that's where you often get the breaches. Yeah. So for one of the projects, um, we were able to basically hack their, hack their wallet. So we knew exactly how much tokens a person had. We knew what their physical address was. We knew what types of identities they'd uploaded, um, wow. what the username was, and what the email was. Wow. Um, and like with that amount of information, you can do a lot because you can turn up at a person's house and be like, give me your like whatever cryptocurrency, right? right? right. Um, and so like that itself was the bigger problem rather than the on-chain like smart contract right. itself. The token infrastructure works fine. Right. Yeah. And another thing we saw um, looking at the GitHubs, not so much the chain, but the applications built on top of it is... Uh, when looking for good versus bad actors. It, a lot of these projects are entirely open source mm-hmm. and you can very quickly see if you look at a white paper and you look at a timeline and the team and then you go to the GitHub and there's no activity, yeah. it very quickly surfaces that, is it, you know, did they just raise money and now they're yeah. sitting on a beach somewhere? Yeah. Or are they going to be able to execute technically on their roadmap? Because there's some that I think that are well-intentioned and mm-hmm. you'll see 
the work they're putting out and it's mm-hmm. you can very clearly identify a substandard yeah. team that way so so there's some interesting trackers i don't know off the top of my head but there is one which tracks the most amount of updates in real term code change in a github for yep. all of these projects so it basically tracks like okay like it's not like if you just deleted a bunch and then copy pasted and all of a sudden your codes it's like okay like here was a code before and mm-hmm. here's a code now and it's a real term active change on that code yeah. um and so it's like the top uh, the top like projects with the most amount of development. I think it's like generally like what's been happening in the last couple of weeks is like EOS, IOTA, and these types of projects are like right up at the top in terms of like the yeah. amount of change in the code. Yeah. Um, there's also Coinmunity, which I really like in terms okay. of gauging, um, I guess like that's something similar to you guys as well. All it does, super simple, just tracks like your increase in community for a project. So mm-hmm. like how much increase in Telegram. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. It's, a, it's yeah. a mobile app. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So it's like super basic, but it's interesting just to see which projects because like if you can see a like community be built to the 100 number on that thing and just like as you see it tracking up you can generally correlate that to the price and see how that increases yeah for us we've got a lot of the raw data like we're pulling in the github of a number of projects and we recently hooked up telegram so we can basically pull in telegram feeds of whatever project Mm -hmm. but it's now figuring out like on that raw data how much automated sort of like manually you can go look and see oh this this team is clearly really good or like this is clearly like they just copied some other code base mm-hmm. put out a big marketing push mm-hmm. and they're gone doing that in an automated way on the raw data is where a lot of the interesting interesting yeah, problems absolutely. lie absolutely so um one of my good friends Aram, he's got a one of his projects is called coin score mm-hmm. um which i'll connect you guys with but it's super cool so it basically like does pull in all this raw data across a whole bunch of places and then like you can do like graphical sentiment analysis and things on it which is super cool to see yeah, um but like where we're at is like right now um we're very much like deep in this tunnel of like what does like a full stack due diligence look right. like and yep. which things we assess but over time where we do want to come to is like these tools are dotted around the outside of that so like like though we can't share the the actual core stuff yet um there's maybe ways to pull out some of that data and share at different platforms right. yeah. um and so we have to figure out how we do that um it's a little while away but like as projects like yours develop it'd be interesting to see how we can work together to set that up yeah Yeah, because even going back to your point earlier about having a single platform where your companies can publish to like one of the most one of the things that we see is a lot of times admins will just say something in telegram and that's the first time it's ever been mentioned anywhere and then you go look at the price move and and it's just it's the wild west in terms of like disclosure and how information travels yeah yeah. Yeah, I think we saw, we saw Coins admin say something like, uh, "Hey guys, just a heads up, we're gonna miss our deadline. Uh, just no need to worry." In Telegram. <laughs> and then you know it takes a bit of time for that to hit the market and hit Reddit and all these places. I think it's so important to have like fairly defined times for announcements because like people need sleep. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. So many people in the community, they're just like because they're constantly on like it's actually not good for you right yeah, like if we can have like okay every single day x amount of time different tokens or like you define in your white paper like we are going to do announcements once a week and that is the time we do announcements yeah. anything outside of that don't take that as official or like confirmed yeah right. what else is interesting sometimes is uh just correlating the announce or what they're saying with what's actually happening because again github is public we had one uh one ico that we were following because we thought their product was interesting and they had a very clear roadmap timeline they had a this is the day and time our betas or this is the day our beta is going to release they didn't give a time so then 
we've been watching their GitHub for a while and been like, there's no way that they're going to hit this beta. And that day they're like, oh, it's definitely coming out today. Everyone, you know, the 20,000 people in their Telegram, everyone's like, well, what time? They're like, well, we can't tell you a time, but it'll be done by midnight Hong Kong time. And then midnight Hong Kong time comes and I think it became midnight US time. And then they basically launched late and have subsequently missed all their deadlines. But what they're saying in Telegram does not line up with that reality. So it's, it's nice having two separate data sources to go to to see like... Yeah, absolutely. So, and GitHub's super useful like that, right? Like, but then you get the interesting arguments like, oh no, we only push changes once in a like blue moon. Right. We actually or we do all private work and yeah. then just push the yeah. public later. It's interesting yeah. to see some very obvious, like just yeah. lying in some of these there, telegrams. There was a, a crazy one. So I think that what they were doing is faking activity. So there's another coin we were looking at um, yeah, and their GitHub, nice they're, they're basically updating their readme. Uh-huh. with like a period uh-huh. taking it out adding it back yeah. and it looked like there were like 50 commits in a week and if you people just in the glance chat at the, were, like the you know the commit yeah, graph yeah. people yeah. In, the, in, in the chat were and it's, it's sad because a lot of people don't you know you might not know about github how it works and that's fine right you don't not everyone yeah. needs to know everything about coding but just saying oh it had 50 commits this week bitcoins only had 10 therefore they're more active than bitcoin <laughs> that's insane so there's a lot of market education that needs needs to happen and so that's why like tools that basically do that like pull the data and actually compare how much real term code right. change there is is right. so valuable right because it's like you know when someone's a bit like bullshitting on what yeah. they're actually doing <laughs> but yeah it's it's crazy like i think we're it, like i always say it's still basically day day zero like yeah. we're in day one now yeah. but like we're still pretty years and yeah, I'm curious, you know, how do you think the, dil- again, we're talking about the future here, but how do you think the diligence process will change as these schemes get more sophisticated? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very dynamic right now in terms of like it, it does change quite often because like one of the things we want to do is like when we're comfortable with it, like actually share that publicly with the market of like what the process looks like. So it's like, all right, here are like all the things that we assess. Here is exactly how we assess for those things. Mm-hmm. And then here is like the general outcomes that we recommend. So people can go and do that themselves. But it's just that's a little while away in terms of like it's just not it's changing so quickly that like we can't say like this is the regulation and what it looks like because right. they're like, oh nope, that's that's changed now. We have yeah. to do it this way. So right. it's kinda it's dynamic. Hopefully, so we are involved um in the committee for the ISO three oh seven. Okay, what's that? Uh, which is the global standards authority, basically standardized things, right? So it's like a seatbelt thing, like right. how a seatbelt works standardized, for example. So like with that committee, there's like eight different segments. So it's like blockchain security, blockchain assets, so like security, utility, other, that type of stuff. So it's like um, working with like super cool people around the world that are in the space and basically figuring out like what those standardizations looks like. Yeah. If that goes through and like all the countries are involved, so like New Zealand has a voting right as a country and sort of we're in the committee there. US has a voting right as a country and there's a committee there. So if like globally there can be consensus around like what the standardized framework looks like, yeah. things should hopefully get easier because then we can put more rigid things into the model. Is that similar to what Ryan Selkis at Masari is doing? Is that... So, so this is this is like ISO and standards okay. authorities, like a okay. global. Just global standards. Yeah. So you, standard. I just ah, okay. just like if you just Google ISO, yeah, they'll yeah, come okay. up. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, like countries participate that in that, and you you basically select in the local market right. who the right people are to do that. Yeah. So a standard like that, how would that how would that look? What are the key kind of categories of things that would go into a standard like that? So I haven't actually done like a project with standards authority, yeah. like ISO um, yeah. standards before. So like I'm very much learning. And to me, it's a lot of like regulation heavy and I'm yeah. not a lawyer. So yeah, like sure. I feel like I know quite a bit now, but it's still like a massive like brain sink for me right. to try and figure out how it works. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very much like 
defining like terms, like terminologies, like, and then taking, okay, so now that we understand what these terminologies are, here are some of the things that we can do and using those terminologies and what that looks like. So it's like, you know, what is a, we say security, but like inside security, what are the different branches? We say utility or what are the different utility use cases? So that type of fleshing it out in that manner. So we talked a little bit about your customers. So right now we have exchanges. How else do you see your business progressing? Is there kind of like a third or fourth area that you're thinking about now? Yeah. So there's a there's a there's a couple of things, right? So like we have because of the like the tokens and the assets that we receive, like we were we've never raised capital. Mm-hmm. We've been cash flow positive from That's day huge. one, Congrats. basically. Yeah. Um, and so like now we're at a point where like we can start liquidating some of those positions. Um, and once we do that, it's like we like we probably are the biggest like crypto investment bank in the country. But like forget that, like we will be the biggest VC in New Zealand oh, in okay. the next six months. Yeah. Like like just this. So to, to give you an example, right, the current largest VC in the country their typical investments in a year are about five, six million. We have today like a 20 mil asset valuation. Wow. So that's like liquid stuff that we can liquidate to, yeah. to do stuff, right? So like it's, it's a no-brainer for us to, to go down that track. Um, other things that we're doing is like we've, we're pushing courses of smart contracts and blockchain into universities in the country. Yep. Um, we're sponsoring all the meetups in the country. So it's like, all right, well, wherever you go, you're going to have a free, like not crypto launchpad focus, but just like free learning and interactive stuff. And um, we've set up an entrepreneurship center in Wellington, the city that I'm from. But basically it's like over the next couple of weeks and months, um, we're going to try a few things like we will say, okay, we will fund every single blockchain project in the country, yeah. for example. And so that's like, it may not be a big amount, maybe $1,000, maybe it's $100,000 if we really like a project, but it's like that whole ecosystem will just blow it up because we have all the capabilities to do everything in the space. And so like the projects that are doing well, well, we can pick them and provide them other support services. Yeah. It's like that kind of model. Plus like the VC thing is interesting because New Zealand as a country, really, really amazing entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. um, super creative people just extremely small liquid pool of capital and we don't execute well on global commercialization we'll do great in new zealand um but pushing out of new zealand's heart for us whereas like that's where i come from right like we will like those projects will push them out across our channels um we already have investment banking and hedge fund partnerships um so we can fund projects quickly like we can send that deal flow around to our partners and other organizations fund those projects and it just accelerates that loophole so that's some things that we're doing another thing that we're doing is like we're actually building our own blockchain right now and it's for some of the biggest crowdfunding platforms around the world um, and we have some early sort of agreements with them and so it's like if if that goes through we've got some IP built up um, and some of our partners have some really cool tech that allows for processing into the financial systems uh-huh. and so basically like if you can imagine in the near future any project that comes through us we will have the ability to allow that token to clear into the financial system. Oh, okay. So like, let's say uh, you create, I don't know, NYC token, for example, right? Um, And NYC token is trading at $5. Um, We can basically, like what we can do, we can do this in New Zealand right now, Mm -hmm. but there's some things happening in the financial space, which will allow us to do it globally. And so it's like that token that's $5, we'll be able to like, flicked into whatever the local currency is, so USDT or NZDT or whatever the market is, not like the current USDT, but like a digital version of the US sure. dollar and clear into the financial system. And then on our back end, um, we'll be able to clear that through the infrastructure. Okay. Um, and so some of our partners and, you know, groups that we work with, they're buying banks um, and they're setting up organizations around the place. So it's like there's some interesting plays that we're involved in. I can't disclose too much because there's like a 
So basically, we want to open source it, but just the type of tech it is, um, it's super risky because if we open sourced it, it's going to get copied and taken away. So we have a patent application pending for it. And so we're going to patent it and then like open source it over a period of time. That's awesome. Um, But like that's going to be super cool because like, so to give you a hint, like let's take a charity, for example, right? Um, A charity will be able to deposit some money um, that will be picked up by our blockchain. That then can be invested to a charity in, in a public context. Mm-hmm. And when they spend that money in like a physical transaction at a shop or bank-to-bank transfer, uh-huh. that will be public on our blockchain. Okay. So it's super interesting use case just for charities, but there's a whole spectrum of other organizations. Yeah. Um, so that's the last thing that we work on. Plus yeah. there's like being set up like an investment bank is super interesting because we just get the craziest deal flow. So like yesterday I had like two meetings. One was like, a diamond ICO that they want to do in Canada. <laughs> the other was like, there's a super profitable private jet company that's like, let's, we're thinking about doing an ICO and yep. like commoditizing how that works. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. As well as like providing market making and liquidity to exchanges, like bringing in partners there. Um, I've been in New York like two weeks and I've already connected like three people moving $800 million of Bitcoin, $800 million of Bitcoin, $100 million worth of Bitcoin, $400 million of Bitcoin. So we're not an OTC, but right. like we've made connections yeah. that will directly that's huge so it's super interesting to just like yeah what's your take on the otc market um you know how big is it compared to i guess public the public market much much bigger volume wise so like like i was saying like that's my last two weeks um and like a couple of guys i've been meeting here they've been doing a lot bigger transactions Mm -hmm. as well so like some of the biggest families they're buying big amounts of bitcoin and big amounts of cryptos mainly bitcoin but yeah like they are taking up positions and because it's otc people don't like see that yeah. it's, they don't see that on exchanges so right. they're like oh when the institutional institutional money's in yeah. like it's been in for a while <laughs> and so they're just increasing their positions and so it'll be interesting to see how that goes right that is pretty interesting it kind of makes me feel like I should buy some Bitcoin but, <laughs> yeah. so are there any other projects you think are, are pretty interesting right now that you recommend you know looking into I, I'd look into our project okay. the the fanship okay. um, so it's fanship.world mm-hmm. I think that's a super cool idea and like if you're like if you're into Korean pop or um, that type of music, I think it'll be interesting. For us, it's really interesting as well because like we'll do this one, um, and like if that goes well, well then it's like who knows? Maybe we'll do an American Idol coin or like some <laughs> yeah. other because like we can yeah. just specialize in that right, particular right. Issue, right? Yeah. And plus, like this private jet ones that's popped up is quite interesting because like I've never had an opportunity to fly in a private jet, but like maybe if we did their token, like we will get to like. <laughs> but no, so I think check out that one. Yeah. Um, there's a few other ones that come up as well, but I feel like I have to be blockchain agnostic, so I shouldn't just be like shilling projects a little bit. Yeah, no, um, I mean, these yeah. could just be interesting projects. No, not necessarily, hey, you should buy this token. Yeah. Um, just kind of interesting projects you think people people should look into. Yeah, so I mean, like if people, like there's been a lot of talk about um, like delegated proof of stake and yeah. proof of stake. Like in my opinion, um, ARC is one of the really few projects that really do a good job of delegated proof of stake. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like check out ARC if, to whoever's yeah. listening I guess one of my this is again bad but like one of my biggest holdings is NEO okay. um, so I really like that particular project and it's really interesting to see how they've done it I mean it's it's almost centralized in the way that they sort of manage their proof of stake consensus stuff right. like anything that's happening in China that's doing a good job for me is like a lot of potential so right, right, um, right. there is that uh, other projects, I really like the uh, Quantum Resistant Ledger guys. I was hanging out with them. 
in that's the name of, of the project yeah so Q, QRL is, is okay. a, yeah, quantum resistant ledger those guys seem pretty cool they've just got to so they started off with the ERC20 and then now go, they're going into um, like actually like like the actual quantum resistant ledger mm-hmm. and so that's that's quite an interesting project I think um, EOS which had a lot of hype recently I really like their distribution method and that's yeah. something that I'd be quite keen to try out with one of our projects to mm-hmm. see how that goes maybe tweak it slightly um, um, and by distribution method there what, what do you mean so they basically had a year-long ICO okay. where the way it was designed divine was like you put in however much ether you want to mm-hmm. And every single day, for example, I'm not sure the exact amount, but it's, I think it was like 100,000 tokens or 100 million tokens were sold every single day. And so like, let's say in day, the first day, only 100 ETH was put in. Yep. So each person um, got 1 million tokens. Whereas the next day, if only 10 ETH was put in, each person got 10 million tokens. Okay. So like it was the, the price on the day of the token on the actual project right. of the ICO was defined completely by the amount of people that were putting money in. So it's kind of this addicting thing about like, let's put in some money every single day for right, a year and right. let's see if we can pick up some some big positions, yeah. hopefully. And so like, to me, that's pretty cool. I'm not sure how like the ECC would, would deal with it, right. but um, but to me, it's pretty cool just to see that like distribution mechanism. Yeah. How they or from it. a tax perspective, I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, tax perspective, but also it's like, like, is it? kind of gambling like like, just like you know let's put some money in capital gains gambling winnings yeah i I guess i mean i guess it's kind of not gambling because like you're not you are always getting something it's not like you're not receiving it but just just like the price volatility is already too volatile like you know (laughs) um but also it's like i think they were already on exchanges even while this was happening, like the ICO thing was happening. So that was quite interesting to me because it was like you had the exchange price of what the token was trading at, but then you still had this ICO going on in the background with people putting money in tokens. And so yeah. I just thought it was interesting, a cool distribution like way of doing it, just like something different to, right. to, different to do. But yeah, what other projects? There's just so many floating around. There are so head. many. Yeah. 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 Um, like I, I was quite interested in Nano. Okay. Um, so XRB and, and that was quite interesting just because like like so, so the group that I was talking about, right? The one of the Facebook groups, which is just the randomest people, like someone from McDonald's to like those guys actually found that project. Okay. And I was like, Oh, that's kinda cool. And then but they found it when it was like twenty cents or whatever, right? <laughs> and then they all just piled on in and then it went to like twenty dollars. But like I, I, I put in like two hundred dollars worth, and the bit, bit Grail got hacked, so I lost that. Um, <laughs> so it was unfortunate. But um, that particular project um, was super interesting because outside of everything that that team did, the biggest pump in that project was like there was this gift that was created, right, showing like Bitcoin flow, Ethereum flow, Litecoin flow, and then comparing that to XRB. Okay. And like if you look at the flow, it's like like you know it's just number of transactions represented in like a visual format. I feel like the price of that project, like if you look at like when that GIF was created and it was pushed out, that was what made that blow up. It's totally ridiculous. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> this is a meme-driven market. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. There was another project, which is, um, uh, it was similar to, I can like visualize it, yeah. um, but I can't remember the name. But anyway, it was like basically a, like a Litecoin uh, version with just like a few tweaks to, to make it better. Um, and there was a comparison done and it was a classic like, uh, Bitcoin doesn't have this, Litecoin doesn't have this, 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 and then there's like green ticks everywhere and that project showed for like two. Of course, of course. It's, just, it's almost like some people can just like, not even some people, like it, do, it doesn't have to be big people. You, like you, you have these big massive groups, right? Like 50,000 people, public right, Facebook right. pages. And so like you just make one of these like 
cartoony things yeah, of like why this project is good, and the group admins will always approve because it's right. a good thing for the project, and then it just blows up out of proportion. Yeah. I think I've seen bounties for that kind of stuff too. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be like, surprised. Oh yeah, we'll pay this many of our tokens to make a uh, infographic that looks like this, except for us. Yeah, yeah. So that's quite interesting. Um, I think Nem is quite an interesting project. Like, it doesn't get a lot of attention, but it's been around for a while. Uh, what I like about it is the community fund. Yep. Um, so the fact that like people like you can upload a project and the community gets to vote to see if they like the project yep. and how it helps the ecosystem, um, and then you that allows you to get funding without having to do an ICO. Yep. And then as you hit your milestones, it's like tranche, so it's milestone based. And then if you do decide to do your ICO or you know you make money, it's just the just pay them back yeah. and so the fund keeps going but you get to do your project without having to do like massive trying to do ICOs or anything right. like that. so that to me is quite interesting cool so yeah I think we're coming up on, on time here so you know want to thank you for joining us thanks for having me yeah uh, this was a super interesting discussion um, so how can people learn more about you and maybe get in touch um, so I am actually probably we are going to bring on someone for social media because we like we're just really bad at social media yeah, like yeah. the thing is like everyone like even people who like are good at social media in the company yeah. they just have so much work yeah, to yeah. do that's not social media that it just doesn't become a priority so i think like we have like 24 likes on our facebook page and like 36 twitter <laughs> followers or something right um but we will bring someone on board yeah. soon and be a bit more public and try and do that sort of okay. stuff yeah the the best way is probably just to like message us on our website or something okay but it's like the, the real question is like, what would we do for you kind of thing? Like sure. we, you know, it's like, unless you're a project that wants DD done or you you know, want us to look at your um, stuff for advisory, yeah. it's like, there's probably a better people that can help right now because we're just not retail based. Like okay. we, we will have social media people helping out and doing that sort of stuff. But yeah. like right now we're like 14 people. Yeah. That team will double, quadruple in size in the next few weeks, months. Um, but like, it's just like, we're more than happy to help. But we just don't know if we have the bandwidth yeah. to, to sure. yeah. yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Hey everyone, this is Vikram again. Thanks for listening to us. If you're an exchange, a trader, or working on a crypto project, get in touch with us. You can reach us on Twitter at Quantlayer. That's Q-U-A-N-T-L-A-Y-E-R. Or email me at Vikram at Quantlayer.com. That's V-I-K-R-A-M like Monero at Quantlayer.com. I will write back. Thanks. Thank you.